what's the gospel minimum deity death resurrection and do you want to take a step are you going to follow are you going to go down the road peter and john both talked about this decision as following in jesus's steps so it's not salvation by works it's just i mean when when you say i do to your husband or wife you're not saying oh wow yes i'm going to do good works from now on out no we characterize i do is a commitment i just made a commitment this is this is this is let's be honest talking about our faith it can get hard sometimes Sometimes we get caught up in the world, but now the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Hey everybody, this is Matt Burford. Uh, I have a special guest today along with two other guys that do a lot of stuff with Tactical Faith. Of course, they have their own podcast, Wandering in Wisdom. If you haven't gone to that podcast and subscribed to it, I ask you to do it You know, right now. It is a really great discussion about different areas of philosophy and ethics and, and history. And it's I'm so proud of what uh, these guys are doing, Joel and Travis. But today we've decided to intro... Um, what I think is kind of a, a fun four or five part series on, on what it means to be merely Christian. And this is to do a couple of different things. Uh, we've been, we've been around for seven to eight years for tactical faith, and we're here to, to help people think about their faith reasonably, uh, to think about it in a way that's practical so that you can go share the faith to others, to, for those who are lost and, and are in rebellion and need Jesus. Um, but in doing so, uh, we also enjoy and try to foster the life of the mind. Like a Berean, we want to hold all things within our worldview and think about all things and to capture every thought and make it captive to Jesus Christ himself. But in doing so, that means we need to have serious Christians that are thinking about serious things. Um, and we might be talking to Christians who might not think like we do. They might have different opinions than we do. They might come from a different culture, a different background, and have a different view. Uh, so in, in order for us to kind of tackle those, those, those questions, we need to set f- at least forth a good basis of what does it mean to be merely Christian? Uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, dealt with that issue. He did a bunch of radio talks on different issues like this, uh, but this is the first of many. So there was one gentleman that I wanted to reach out to who I've done a couple of podcasts on. Uh, I think so much of this, of this fella, uh, Gary Habermas. And one of the things about Dr. Habermas, and of course, I've been teaching all through his, his doubt series lately over the last two or three months, and it's been a fantastic thing for me uh, to work through that, that material and go deep into that material. Uh, but one of the things he's been speaking and preaching and, and talking and teaching about lately is about the yellow road, uh, the yellow brick road. And that can be in his uh, doubt stuff or even in terms of his minimal facts. But I wanted to bring him on and let him talk about what does it mean to be a mere, mere Christian? What are those things that we, we need to focus on in unity across the Christian world um, in terms of moving hand in hand on certain tenets of the faith? in order to capture the world for Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, Dr. Gary, for coming on. Well, Matt, or should I say Dr. Matt, it's uh, good to be with you. And I always enjoy uh, talking to you guys down there and seeing what you're doing. Of course, been down there with you many times too, and it's always been a great time. 
Well, of course, we're recording this during the COVID uh, pandemic, and you just told me you've been in your house for 15 days. I hope you're That's doing right. well. And, I am uh, because it, it forces me to work on my magnum opus. <laughs> which we cannot wait to come out, and I'm going to buy a book of them. I'm a whole box of your books. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, so let me ask you this question. Talk about the Yellow Brick Road. Talk about sure. what does it mean in your mind to be merely Christian? Well, first of all, I don't usually do this, but let me start. What I don't usually do is start with a disclaimer, but let me, let me try a disclaimer here. I, I want to guard against sounding like a robot and say, well, here's the only way it can be, and it's always got to be this way. And the, Okay, I, I don't want to sound like that, but there is variety in the New Testament. But whenever the gospel is defined, now that I mean, I don't mean every time there's a verse that says, I preach the gospel to you, or when I came to you, the gospel was loud and clear in my teachings. I'm talking about the, the comparatively few times where the gospel message you know, we get, we get our name evangelicals from Evangelion, the preachers of the good news, the proclaimers of good news. What is that good news? Whenever it's defined in the New Testament, it's pretty clearly the deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, Christians often say uh, death, burial, and resurrection, but I think it's, I think it's uh, important that we get deity in there because uh, Paul does it that way, and so is the New Testament. And secondly, burial, strangely enough, is not part of the definition, you know, more than, you know, maybe 50% of the time. It's there. Uh, in the famous creed, died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and then appeared. So burial's there. But so, so again, back to that, not trying to be too legalistic thing, I think we're hitting the parameters. I think we're getting to the key if we emphasize deity, death, resurrection. And I tell people, here's the way I approach it. Uh, for years, uh, when a, someone has a question in the crowd, and if it's a small group or a class, I teach only PhD students, uh, if it's a class with a dozen students, and somebody will say, what about this, what about that? If I want to make the point about the centrality of the gospel and how to stay on the yellow brick road, more about that in a second. But I'll say to the person, what, what if they said, yeah, but uh, maybe the hardest problem in the Old Testament is genocide. What do we do with the genocide verses? That may be the hardest issue. And um, so I would say, I might say, especially if I know the guy as well, I'd go, okay, so uh, what do you think? No, I'm serious. And I say, no, I'm serious. Well, are you going to give me an answer? Um, yeah, okay, well, you know, what's, what's the point here? And the idea is that if we can answer, if we can answer the definition of the gospel and be sure of the deity, death, resurrection, I think we could be sure of the center of Christianity, and that puts us on the yellow brick road. Now, the reason I bring the yellow brick road in, in the famous story of um, Wizard of Oz, there's a lot of things on the yellow brick road. You can think of Pilgrim's Progress. You can think of other roads. And there are things that try to pull you off the road. On the yellow brick road, there's apple trees, and they try to throw apples at you. Don't, throw the, don't worry about throwing the apples back. Just keep marching. Oh, look at that big tin guy over there. He's got an ax. He could probably cut your head off in one swipe. Yeah, okay, okay. Don't look at him. He's not moving. Keep walking. Oh, he wants to join us. 
Oh, well, that's great. Come on, let's keep going. Now we're going to the dense part of the woods. There's lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Okay, well, here comes a lion. Well, let him get on board. And then pretty soon you're out of the woods, and here's a, a field, and uh, it puts people to sleep. One, one cute lesson there is that as they're dozing off, another member comes over and pulls them up. Come on, get up, get up. We got to keep going. And that's, you know, that's, that's cool too. They're helping each other, but they look up and off in the distance is the celestial city or the emerald city. And almost like the book of Revelation, you know, in a way, but they're marching toward this. But the point is, stay on the road, stay on the road. Don't throw the apples. Don't go, don't run away from the tin man. Go screaming through the woods. Watch out for the lion. Look out, those plants will kill you. You stay on the road. And I think to me, the point in all this is, if we can be sure about the gospel message, now there's another side to it. The gospel message, let's just say for now, it's a deity, death, resurrection. But scripture gives us a choice whether we're going to say, I do, to the Jesus of the yellow brick road. We get a choice. It's sort of like saying, Matt, I'm going to introduce you to, you know, you're, you're single, and uh, you're my best buddy, and I just want you to be happy like I am, so I'm going to introduce you to somebody who you're going to say is the best gal you've ever met in your life. And I do, and you're surprised, and you go, yeah, she's everything you said. And I go, well, can I be your best man? And you go, absolutely not. I mean, no problem with her but I'm not ready to be married. And a lot of people are not ready to be married to Jesus. They're not ready to say, I do. They're not ready to step, take a step of faith. So there's two sides. What's the gospel? Minimum, deity, death, resurrection. And do you want to take a step? Are you going to follow? Are you going to go down the road? Peter and John both talk about this decision as following in Jesus's steps. So it's not salvation by works. It's just I mean, when, when you say I do to your husband or wife, you're not saying, oh, wow, yes, I'm going to do good works from now on out. No, we characterize I do as a commitment. I just made a commitment. Now, what does it mean? Well, it means you might need the dishes washed someday or for the guy. Then maybe she needs to cut the lawn. Maybe, you know, there's exchange, there's helping, like going through the, the uh, plants that, you know, that the put you to, to sleep. Um, but we have to stay on board. So we don't, we don't have to, we, there's nothing wrong with answering that question of the genocide in the Old Testament, nothing wrong. Just realize, and here's the key, here's the one key that connects theory to the yellow brick road. If we know that Jesus is son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, all the other questions can wait. All the other questions can be put on hold. If I know the answer and I can help somebody quickly, wonderful. If I can't, I have to do research, wonderful. But if we know the gospel's true, I'm on the road, I'm going to keep walking, I'm going to keep being committed, just like marriage, just like walking in Jesus' steps, I'm going to be committed. And whatever else happens, I'll take them in their place. But for right now, you know, my question is, what does that issue, whatever it is, what does that have to do with the yellow brick road? What does that have to do with the gospel? Our call is to stay on the road and if you know the gospel's true, there's one more thing that follows. If you know the gospel's true, Christianity follows automatically. If the gospel is true, Christianity follows. Because C.S. Lewis was a crazy guy. He didn't, he is pretty committed to evolution. Uh, he thinks, he says in one place that there are no, he doesn't think there's any miracles in the Old Testament. 
He thinks they become historical in the New Testament. He thinks Jesus is wrong about the time of his uh, coming. He thinks Jesus can make mistakes. And you go, well, that dude's not very conservative. Well, nobody asked how conservative he was. They asked, what did he do with the gospel? And because C.S. Lewis is clear on the gospel, everybody, Christians kind of, you know, come around him. Plus, he's a great writer. But he's right on the gospel. So I remember reading a book a long time ago that said we can be on a, wrong on a lot of things, right on the gospel, and on the road to heaven. And I'll just stop right there and see where you want to take that. But to me, that's the key. Get, make, the, make the center the center and take the rest as they come. But don't get waylaid and think we have to, we have to understand 100 other questions down the road. And that's a tactic for, for us as a those of us who who enjoy apologetics and evangelism that for those who are not christian when they ask us questions about the faith is to is to say well what you're saying is there are certain things that we can leave aside let's stay on the gospel can we stay on the gospel is that a tactic that you've used with people over time all the time all the time and i do it with non-christians as well as christians because christians they really want to get off into creation. They want to get off into genocide in the Old Testament. They want to get off into eschatology and, you know, everything else. But with non-Christians, they want to talk about hell. They want to talk about, you know, suffering and what's wrong with the problem of evil. And I'll say, first things first, can you handle the resurrection? What would you do with the resurrection? Uh, I don't know. I can't really criticize it. Okay. Well, if the center is true and you have a chance to say, I do or not, what do you want to do about it? Well, I got this issue over here. Wait a minute. If the gospel gets you on the yellow brick road and the yellow brick road gets you to heaven, that should be majoring in the major. And let's worry about semi-major or minor things afterwards. So I'll use it with both believers and unbelievers. So I was uh, reading in this book called Exploring Christian Thought, and it was uh, talking about Irenaeus when he was uh, discussing things with the Gnostic Christians. Right. And, um, it says here, this is um, against heresies. He said, the church, though scattered throughout the world, ex in the whole world to the ends of the earth, has received from the apostles and their disciples this faith. And this is the, the tenets that he was saying. So he's delineating himself and their church from the Gnostic Christians who say they believe in the same scriptures and everything else. He said, basically, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all things in them. And in one Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was made flesh for our salvation. And in the Holy Spirit, who through the prophets proclaimed God's saving dealings with man and the coming virgin birth, passion, resurrection from the dead and bodily ascension into the heaven of our beloved Lord Jesus Christ and his second coming from heaven and the glory of the Father to sum up all things and to raise up all human flesh so that he should execute just judgment upon all men. I mean, that's basically merely Christian, right? Yeah, I think, I think that's a little larger extrapolation, but here's what I think it has in common. Uh, if you're going to branch beyond the gospel, try to stay on the fundamentals because the fundamentals are the next group. Uh, the Gospels are fundamentals, and so are non-Gospel, but they're still fundamentals. I mean, uh, what you do with creation or what you do with, uh, you know, is there a heaven, is there a hell? Those are fundamentals, and I think that's the next rung we should be on. But too many times, Christians get—thankfully, it's better today than it was 40 years ago. But people, 
people in the old days, you know, they want to talk about your haircut. Do you go to dances? And, and, and they would, you know, it was almost like trust Christ your personal savior and get a haircut for crying out loud, you know, that kind of story. And I know guys who literally said that to people as that they were considering coming to Christ. Well, you got to get a haircut too. Um, I just think we're very good at bringing extraneous things in. The further out from the center they are, the worse it is. But I do like mm-hmm. Irenaeus' good points there, and his, his book on heresies is a very famous uh, treatise. And uh, he is, when the people say, well, the Gnostics are good too, he's judging the Gnostics by how close they are to the center. So I like that part of it. All right, I'm going to open it up to the rest of the guys here. Uh, we have Joel, we have Travis, and of course we have Shannon. We're going to keep the questions nice and short and sweet and concise. Uh, but what, what do you guys think? Any, any questions for Dr. Gary? And I came on so late that uh, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Okay. Go go ahead, Travis. Well, uh, I thought there were some really interesting things that you said about the, because part of the element of the yellow brick road is that it's, you're you're on a path. And so it's not merely accepting the gospel. And I I like that, that commitment element that, that to take the centerpiece of the gospel means to be moving towards something. Um, I don't know what to say about that, except to say, I like that. Uh, I guess I do have, I, I do have one question though. When you look at a question, I know that this is precisely what you're trying to get us to sort of avoid, but if you look at questions of genocide, creation, all these, uh, hell, all these other different questions that people want to bring up, um, is it that we need to look at the centerpiece of the gospel, the deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the hermeneutic, the way we interpret, you know what hermeneutic means, but um, but the the way in which we interpret all all these other elements to are these also the, the the gospel? Is that also the centerpiece of interpretation of scripture? Well, if I'm, I, I'm fine on hermeneutics, but if I get where you're going on the question, I do think very clearly in the new Testament, it was their starting point for everything. I mean, I just, I'm working on this huge magnum opus on the resurrection. And I just, I am in the middle as we speak of a portion on is the resurrection is the death and resurrection of Jesus central in the New Testament, mm-hmm. and I think of a lot of key verses. I mean, in, in Acts chapter two, uh, sorry, Acts chapter four, verse two, when the disciples go out to speak, four two, they got in trouble with the authorities because they were preaching in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So their message was, He's raised, and we could be raised. Then a few verses later, same chapter. Acts 4.33, it said, they went out rejoicing and teaching the resurrection to everybody. Now, there's two verses in one chapter where it tells you the key idea they were teaching was the resurrection. Then, of course, we have the very famous passage in 1 Corinthians 15, not so much 3 to 7, which is the creedal portion, but in 12 through 20, Paul says, what is Christianity without a resurrection? And the bottom line is, there is no such thing. And if you have it, you have everything. Well, you can't have everything if you have that, because Paul talks about eschatology. A few verses later, he talks about ethics. But Paul says, for all intent and purposes, if he's been raised from the dead, our faith is true in so many aspects. We're preaching the right message. We're witnessing the right message. Our loved ones who died in Christ have not died in vain twice. Different Greek words, but twice he uses the word uh, vain. Your faith is vain, and the second word means more like fruitless, or it's a, it's a stronger word. The one in verse 17, the word actually means it's void, it's fruitless, it's of no value if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead. So 
on these passages twice in Acts four, once for a you know a nine verse stretch in First Corinthians fifteen, the resurrection is the center. And if you go on to other passages, I mean, twice in the book of uh, Matthew, uh, he's asked, "How do we know you're the Messiah? What sign are you going to give us?" And he says, basically, a wicked generation seeks a sign because they didn't want to believe anyway. But he says, even for you guys, I'm going to give you a resurrection. So the sign in Matthew 12 and 16 is the resurrection. John ends his gospel by saying, many other things did Jesus do which are not written in this, in this uh, book. Actually, he says many other miracles he did which are not written in this book. But these are written. And he just got done telling the story about Thomas, doubting Thomas. But this is written that so that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. So there are direct arguments from the truth of the resurrection to salvation. And, and I'm not saying one little bit that those other topics should not be discussed. We shouldn't do systematic theology. We shouldn't teach our people in school. I mean, art was school too, but church. Um, they're just saying when you, you know, get to them when you get to them, but let's just make sure everybody's on the road before we start worrying about apple trees and big guys with axes and lions and, you know, vegetation that'll put you to sleep. You know, that kind of thing. I, I, I've got a, a question. Um, sure. So, you know, I, I like the idea of, of uh, deity, death, and resurrection as, as the central piece. Uh, how should we reconcile that uh, reconcile is not the right word but how does that jive with um you know when jesus starts his ministry in in you know luke 4 and he talks about you know the spirit of the lord has come on me to proclaim uh, liberty to the captives and all those things and uh when he's reading from isaiah and then he says you know these words are fulfilled uh today you know in him um how, how does Jesus's, at least what Jesus presented as his purpose, as, you know, as his proclamation of the gospel, how does that connect with, with the deity, uh, death and resurrection of the gospel that, that you're treating as the central? It, to me, you can get Jesus going on a number of topics. You know, the, this, the leaders ask him, Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection when she's married to the seven brothers? Uh, should we give tithe? Should we be giving money to the government? And he takes up a coin and render to Caesar that which he comments on a lot of things. But for me, when Jesus is talking about the center, all the center verses, oh, let me give you some examples. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Six, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, the kingdom of God's a yellow brick road. Clearly, because when Jesus preaches the kingdom, there's two phases to it. Evangelicals aren't very good with phase one, which is this present uh, kingdom. But Mark, the gospel of Mark starts out. First thing Jesus says is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. And Jesus said more about phase one than he said about phase two. So the kingdom was present with the preaching of Jesus. And of course, that still exists in the Christian church today. So whenever Jesus says the key... Um, or, or here's one in Mark. I came to give my life a ransom for many. Okay, so one is uh, seek you first. Here now he's saying, why am I? Why have I come? I've come to make myself a sacrifice. It's the main reason I'm. I've come. That's it. And then again, and I just go down the list and give you the other ones. John says the whole key to his book is is the miracles, and whoever does this will be saved and will have eternal life. Whenever the it's one thing to answer questions. But all the I came to verses, the this is my major teaching verses. Here's one for you. In 2 Corinthians 
well, actually more than Second Corinthians, but Paul is taking up offerings for poor saints in Jerusalem. You could say, well, that's a worthy task. But right now with the, with, with the uh, virus, we should be helping other people. Um, the news just had a story on about how Americans are coming together. That's very important. Paul's taken up an offering for them. But then he says this in Second Corinthians 8, 5. He said, the poor Macedonians, out of their poorness, they contributed to the social needs, really, of the people in Jerusalem. But they did more than that. He said they did more, they did more than we asked them to. They gave themselves first to God and then to us. Well, that's the same lineup in Mark and in, in Luke 10, where the lawyer comes and says, what should I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor yourself. That's the two commands. And Paul says, well, they were doing it. They loved God first, and then they gave funds to us. I think whenever there's a, this is it kind of comment, the, the, the last supper, this is my body, this is my blood, I won't take it again until it's in the kingdom. That's a kingdom verse. But all these key verses it's always about the path, and, and what puts you on that path is uh, who Jesus is, what he did, resurrection, and are, are you willing to get married? Which is like, are you willing to get up on the yellow brick road and walk with the rest of us? So to me, he, he's got topics all over the place, but when he orders them, number one seems to me to always be that gospel. And that's why we call, evangelicals call themselves, um, they call themselves evangelicals. I have no problem leaving... Uh, using that word, I, I've got a buddy who's a committed Catholic, and I say, so you call yourself an evangelical with a small e. In other words, as a Catholic, you think people have to hear the gospel and make a commitment to Jesus Christ. And the guy goes, I do believe that. I said, okay, well, you might not be a formal Protestant, capital E, but you're a small e by putting the gospel first. So to me, that's it. It's what do you do with the center? It's a center out belief, and the Elder Brick Road is a center, and you end up in my illustration with the Emerald City. That's so good. Well, thank you so much, Gary. Uh, we'd love to have you back on to talk any, some more about this stuff. It's just so fun. But I will ask you one last question. So let's say we move, let's say we, I get called uh, to a church like I usually do, or, or a pastor calls me and asks me, you know, they're developing an educational strategy for their church, want to incorporate apologetics, but he's afraid of the typical apologetic guy that comes in and causes too much trouble, right? Uh, because they, they want to employ everybody to think everything there is about every worldview aspect that there is, and it, it stirs up issues within the church, which always points to one of the pitfalls of guys like us of going in and causing uh, you know, a little bit of strife and disunity by talking about different aspects of our worldview. Um, are there, I mean, what, what do I give in terms of what, how, what kind of advice can I give those pastors in trying to help their, the members of their church, not if they're all on the same page in terms of the yellow big road, but then start moving into the deeper waters of the faith and turn, you know, when, when thinking about the bigger issues, um, what are, you know, how can I help him through the pitfalls of, of going deeper in the faith? If I get your question, Matt, in, in everything, I have a center out view. In fact, that's what the minimal facts argument is. It's min, min, uh, ministering in the center. I would, I would uh, personally, I get on the philosophy guys in my own department. I'm the chair. I get on the guys in my department when they're teaching apologetics because I tell them everybody does not have to know all about worldviews. Everybody does not know the difference between Hegel and Kant, and you're not going to die 
if they don't know those two guys. But we do need to know what the gospel is, and we do need to know what the center is. If we're going to be Christians, Christianity is a center-out doctrine, and it goes from the, to the, from the gospel to the more parts. And if you say, what would those more parts be like? I'd say you'd be safe if you're sticking with the, with the fundamentals. And by the way, I think that's what C.S. Lewis calls mere Christianity. It's the, it's the fundamentals. So I'd say for the pastor who says, um, yeah, these guys come in and want to teach worldviews, was your example, that kind of stuff. He says, that kind of bothers me. You know what I'd say? That bothers me too. They shouldn't be doing that in church. That, that's not a way to start because you're going to lose everybody and people aren't going to want to get out there. And if you're going to be an evangelist, the main thing we want to do is talk about the evangelion. We want to talk about the good news and the good news is the gospel. And there you are. That's the answer. Save, save the worldviews for somebody who wants to do it privately and wants to dig into philosophy. They're important, but they shouldn't be taught up front. And by the way, hope I'm not offending our philosophy brethren here, but I've got two Thomas in my department. We've got a good-sized department, and I've got two Thomas. I tell those guys all the time, when you do apologetics, don't spend two-thirds of your time proving God's existence. Let's move, let's move on to history, and let's do the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. God's existence is, is fine, but these guys will often, literally, they spend way too much time on God's existence. You see, they don't need one argument for God. They want nine arguments for God. I'm thinking, okay, guys, this is overkill. When are we going to get to the gospel? Oh, yeah, well, that's the last week of the course. Well, you're not doing apologetics then, and I tell them that all the time. Hey, so. there's no offense here. I agree with that 100%. Do yeah. yeah. So you're Thomas, what you're telling me is you're not a Thomas, huh? <laughs> We're not even sure Travis is a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you one of those rare apologists, uh, one of those rare Thomas who think that if you have one argument for God or maybe two, you can move on because if yeah. two are good, then he really exists. <laughs> well, when I, when I taught apologetics, I always started off, we spent a couple of weeks at the beginning of class talking about what hope is. Because uh, the idea, I told the students, I said, the idea is that you're trying to defend the hope. People are asking you what the reasons are for the hope that you have. Do you even have hope? And we would go, we'd spend a few weeks. And by the end of the class, we'd realize that most of my Christian students didn't have hope. I mean, they did objectively speaking, but they weren't experienced. You know if you back up, that's, uh, you know, First Peter. If you uh, back up to First Peter 1, Peter starts out in just the first verse, third verse of that epistle. And he says, I, I'm bringing you good news. You guys are being persecuted. Well, I want to tell you something. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And my answer to persecution is not stop it. My, oh yeah, it would be nice, but we don't, you know, we don't run the show. So my answer to persecution, he says, is to realize that Jesus Christ died for us. He, his resurrection proclaimed, who, I'm sorry, his resurrection uh, got, uh, brought heaven to us. And heaven can't, he uses four Greek words. Heaven can't be taken from you. It's not going to end. It's not going to fade. And one of his words is it's garrisoned. It's guarded by the armies of heaven. So Peter's answer is not this full-blown, when he's talking about hope, you're right. His view of hope, right there in that passage, his view of hope is the gospel of the, he talks about the deity, death, resurrection, goes right to heaven, and says, rejoice in this, even though you're being persecuted. So that's the old brick road. So, I mean, I'm prejudiced, but I, I, we all see what we want to see in all the verses. But I see, I see that in, right there in Peter. And, of course, that leads to the apologetics verse of Peter. Right. Fantastic. So, Anybody else before we close this out? Shannon, do you have any questions? Man, that's, my, that, that's my only question. Why hasn't Shannon kicked in here? Yeah, sorry. I got I came on a little late and I and I was I was I came on while you were dissing C.S. Lewis and calling him a liberal Christian and I 
I'm still in shock over that. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> he, 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 you know, by definition, he probably was. But I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't diss the guy. I wouldn't say he wasn't a Christian. I think he's clear on the gospel. So I'm taking my own view. I think Lewis is a Christian because he responded literally to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wrong in some other things. Now, do I dare think I'm not wrong in other things? I'm wrong in a lot of other things. In fact, the more I open my mouth and go outside the fundamentals, the more I'm going to be wrong. I, by the way, I tell my students, that's why uh, uh, Zondervan and InterVarsity have over 50 three, four, and five views books, because even Christians can take a bunch of different views on a bunch of heated issues. So what do we stay firm on? We're evangelicals. So even that's just another way to say the same thing. Well, okay. So in a church context, then, when... When is in in a discipleship context within the church, and forgive me if this has already been asked, but like, when do we start to touch on some of the tertiary issues, or does does keeping the central things central kind of keep everything else on the right road? Because it doesn't always seem like it does, but I could see where coming from a from a very kind of I don't even I don't want to say a naive perspective but from a spirit-filled preaching perspective you could say that if you keep Jesus as a it's a main message everything else is going to work out is there is that yeah, wrong true I wouldn't but I wouldn't say everything's going to work out that, that means I don't have to answer any questions let's just make the let's throw the blocks up in the air and I don't care where they land it, it, I would say that when the people come to Christ, and you guys have a little study group, and you got some buddies here who are spending time together, and and are you're uh, refreshing one another, and so on. Once you get past, Hebrews says, go on from the milk of the word, go on from salvation to other things. There is a time when people are in the fold to let's branch out to things. Uh, if they say, Shannon, what's the big question you get at work? Matt, what's the big question you get? Well, it's got to be suffering. Yeah, 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 for sure. What about... Uh, genocide. Yeah, yeah, that too. Well, what about the virus? Is that anything to do with eschatology and is the end of the world here? Yeah, yeah, that's a big one too. You can branch out to things slowly and meet people's needs when the center is, I think you work from the center out. You don't quit working after the center. So, and I said, like I said, my next move would be to the rest of the fundamentals. And then the next move would be to some of these three, four, and five issues things. If we've got a group, we've got a very committed group of people there is nothing wrong. It's better than watching, you know, TV at night. If we want to sit there and do the tenth doctrine on the list, we're still doing good stuff. So, I'd encourage people to move out, but just get the center firm. You're an old coach. There has to be a, there has to be an image to hockey coaching and getting your 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 players you ready. Right. The, in the all con this. contact point between Baptists and hockey is that they <laughs> both solve their problems in the same manner. They both drop the gloves. I wish we would take it that seriously again. <laughs> so, well, thanks again for coming on, Gary. And, I enjoyed uh, it, guys. So, hey, stay safe. Uh, can't wait till we can get out and meet again and, and congregate and, and yeah. just just have dinner and, and talk. And, and pe what people don't know about Dr. Gary is he's doing work all the time. He is not just, uh, you know, making and writing stuff uh, constantly, but he's, uh, he said he was, he was working with a fellow apologist yesterday. He, he just goes on and on and on. He works like an animal for Jesus. And 
such a great. That's my bumper sticker. Works like an animal for Jesus. You do. You work like an animal, man. Ain't nobody quite like you. Usually, and I will say this: I don't let a lot of people behind the curtain on the how the apologetic stuff works. Uh, there's so many people that I brought here that after after a week with Matt Burford and Tactical Faith, they're exhausted. After a week with you, I'm exhausted. That <laughs> worked me. <laughs> hey, I had an interview with the guy the other day. He was uh, he was an MD PhD student at Texas Tech, I think Texas Tech Medical School. And after he and I talked for an hour, he's committed Christian, but after he talked to me for an hour, he wrote me a letter and he said, dude, he said, he never talked to me before on the phone. He said, you have a lot of energy. He said, when I talk to you, he said, you're out, you're over 60. But when I talk to you, I feel like I'm talking to one of my peers. And, and that, that's how I want to be. I want to, I want to be energetic. I, but I'm like that anyway. I'm, 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 you know, to me, the center is what's important. It's what faith's all about. So that's well, how you, I am. You, you've been so crucial to tactical faith and its growth and, and things that we've done down here. So I appreciate it. And we'll, Thanks, we'll when, when it comes to your magnum opus, let me know when it's finished. Yeah. yeah. A guy who didn't even know me, he wrote me an email and he said, let me know before it comes out so I can get a second mortgage on my house. But could you, could you call it MAGA opus for Trump? Magnum. <laughs> magnum opus. Not MAGA opus. Not MAGA. Not make America great again. No, it's, uh, it's okay. uh, uplift Jesus. Not uh, you know, I'm an American and I'm pro democracy and pro everything, but that's that's a second order doctrine. Hey, well, say say uh, say hi to Holly. Say hi. Yeah, to we'll your, do it. I see yeah. both of your kids. I saw your dear little daughter sneak in the back door back there. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. They 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 love it. They they yeah. love seeing daddy do his thing so and, I'm, uh, the, I'm the tell easy holly I, tell holly i said hi and keep pushing that other medicine that that uh the main guy won't push Fauci we'll, is that his name yeah he won't push it yeah we'll, we'll we'll keep pushing all right see ya all right guys have a good one yeah Bye -bye. so what'd you think man i only caught the tail end and it was awesome God, I, I love that man. <laughs> what a great conversation we had with uh, with Gary. What a uh, we're going to spend a few minutes now for those who are still caught on, are, are still on, uh, and just focus on on what Gary had to say. And and one of the reasons we wanted to do this is because yeah, we're 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 talking to people like um, well, we're talking to people that are at, you know, like I said at the very beginning for the intro. Uh, we want to reach out to people that are Christian and they're committed Christians to the fundamentals of the faith. And, and they're on that road, but they might not think the way we do or might, it, and you know, at least when it comes to the secondary issues might have different opinions. Travis, talk to you, to me a little bit about uh, you and Joel's um, commitment to this mere Christian um, kind of idea, uh, not only to how you see tactical faith, but how you see your podcast working. Yeah, well, one of the things that I think I think Joel and I would both agree uh, in a lot of ways with uh, with Gary and his idea of um, that that when you keep Christ. In fact, this came up in our in our last podcast that Christ being center is really is really what it's about. Who Christ is uh, and what He has done, and so uh, and that. One of the ways you could understand what Gary was saying, this this is getting to the point, but one of the ways you could understand what Gary is saying is that he, he's, he, somebody might interpret him as saying, what we need to do is we need to boil the gospel down to the simplest elements and don't stray from that. 
into these other questions because they're on, I mean, he, he rejected that view outright. He said, I don't, I don't believe that. But I think one of the most interesting elements is how understanding crisis is a center. It's, it seems like what, what we do as Christians is we have a, a big collection of disjointed beliefs that we believe sort of, they all have to be true, but we're not really sure how they connect to one another. So there's certain beliefs we have about creation. There's certain beliefs we have about the Old Testament. There's beliefs we have about Jesus. And we know that they sort of belong together because they're all in the same book, but we don't really know what they're doing with one another, right? We might have a little bit of, uh, maybe, I remember I preached one time and I was preaching over Ecclesiastes and a, a great saintly old lady said, I don't think this book belongs in the Bible anymore. Because it was hard to, that's probably my fault, but it was, it's, it's hard to figure out how all these pieces connect. And one of the, that's what the question I asked him is, is how much the deity, death and resurrection of Jesus serves as the centerpiece of our understanding of scripture. If we realize, if we really reflect on the deity, death and resurrection of Jesus, there is a host of ideas. There, there's, there's, so much depth and richness that just comes from these what we consider simple ideas that then begin to shed light on all of what's going on in scripture and so a lot of what we're doing is instead of trying to understand christian christianity as a list of propositions that if you assert that these are the case then you're a christian which i don't think anybody really believes that uh uh we we realize all that there has to be this commitment element we want to see in christianity the, the wisdom that lies within Christianity in understanding even the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that says a whole host of things about our interpersonal relationships, our relationship to, to uh, secular authority, what, what the nature of sin is. It's, it says a host of things. And our goal is to try to not just believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but learn how to look at the world through the lens of recognizing that Jesus rose from the dead. Does that make sense? That that becomes our lens for interpreting the world rather than simply another proposition among many. So I believe automobiles have internal combustion engines. I believe that yellow and blue make green. And I believe Jesus rose from the dead. No, the, Jesus rose from the dead is not just another belief among many. It is the belief through which you see all things. The question is, how does that work? So a lot, a lot of what Joel and I are doing is really sort of that. So um, right now we're dealing with uh, the question of uh, the sort of loss of faith, the deconstruction of faith uh, of the guys of uh, Good Mythical Morning, uh, Rhett and Link. And we're trying to look at the way they even the way they talk about their beliefs and how that exposes perhaps a an approach to Christianity that is more like what, what, what uh, Gary said about straying off into side issues that really don't matter, but they held them as critical. But again, I think that what we believe are critical issues are something like, let me throw up an example that causes, that may cause a problem, but just, just to try to make an illustration of this. So uh, a few years ago when Ken Ham had his debate with Bill Nye, Ken Ham argued that you had to believe in, in, young, in a young earth because, and I'm just trying to follow the path out. I'm not disagreeing with anything Ken Ham's. Well, I'm going to disagree sort of with one thing that he says, but just to make a point. Um, if you don't believe in a young earth, that means you don't believe in 
script, you don't believe in the Genesis, that the Genesis account is trustworthy. If you don't believe the Genesis account is trustworthy, then you can't believe that the Bible is trustworthy. If you don't believe the Bible is trustworthy, then you can't believe that Jesus, we can't trust the Bible on Jesus. And if you can't trust the Bible on Jesus, you can't have faith and you're not a Christian. So that's sort of the connection he made. So what that ends up leading you to is there are actually a million different beliefs that are just as important as as belief that Jesus died, uh, his, that he that the deity, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because if you drop one, they all fall down. That seems like a slightly different approach from taking these. This is central, and that's what Habermas was getting at with C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis had a lot of beliefs, like he believed in evolution, and yet people still hold him hold him high. Why? Because he got the gospel right, and that's the that's the key element that really really matters. Um, and these other things really are church. But if I were to take that, that approach that I have this sort of rigid structure of beliefs that are all tied together in sort of this thin glass frame, and if one breaks, the whole thing shatters, then I don't know, that, that seems like that's not really making Christ central. Every belief is central, or they're all equally central. And you see that with the Good Mythical Morning guys, that one belief broke and the whole threat, the whole, to change metaphors, the whole sweater started to come undone. Uh, they just kept pulling on this thread and the whole sweater, sweater came apart, which that suggests that maybe they didn't have the center. They mm. didn't understand the, cent- the center idea that Christ is the center. Um, I, I don't know if all that makes sense. Or, or I know it does make sense. If you don't understand it, it's your fault. Uh, no, but... Uh, but that's sort of that's sort of the idea we're talking. So, what does it mean to look at things through the lens of Christ rather than looking at belief in Christ as one proposition among many to hold? I see. So it's this, the the idea of the sinner out, as as Dr. Gary was talking about. Yes, that that's what you're talking about. Yeah, hmm. I've been following Gary. Sorry, Matt, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. Um, yeah, I've been following Gary and his work. I think that um, his book on the resurrection that he did with uh, Mike Lacona was one of the first books that I kind of started attacking whenever I was a young Christian. Um, it, it was it was relatively sh- a, sh- a relatively short time after one of my good friends left the country, um, and uh, so I started digging into apologetics and things with him. Or I. I without him it was like there was like this little bit of a hole in my life because he was right down the road from me but whenever i started digging into apologetics i i almost immediately ran up against the idea of of the uh of the resurrection and um because of william lane craig's work too i mean whenever he any and he was an early on guy that i was watching with Gary and with uh, with Bill, you know, in in at least their public debate forums, when they're talking to people, the resurrection of Jesus is is central to them, um, and and it's central in a lot of the arguments that they're crafting. Now, <clears throat> Bill probably a lot different than Gary as far as uh, Bill 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 Bill's willing to spend a lot of time talking about other things. Um, with the the idea this is my point i'm sorry i'm straying my the idea that the resurrection is so central and that 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 focusing on that as an evidentiary kind of process 
and an outlook was something that that it fit like a hand in a glove for me as an early Christian. And I just didn't, I, I've never really looked back and I'm almost kind of indoctrinated with that now that it's hard for me to think about. Um, it's not hard for me to think about other, other uh, apologetic frameworks, but at the end of the day, I'm just like, yeah, that could work. You know, this could work too. Sure. You know, maybe, maybe that works, but um as a, I guess as an evidentialist kind of guy, it, it's it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to see anything else, you know. Um, but like I said, I've been I've been fairly indoctrinated with with what Gary's been doing and teaching for a while. So as as we move forward, guys, what what do we take from this? I mean, what are we promoting to people? Uh, one of the things that I wanted to say, and I've been just kind of hammering this from, I guess, from different different points in different ways all through the years yeah what let's just be honest I naturally I'm like a person that enjoys um, getting people together I enjoy seeing people flourish uh, I'm Holly calls me looking at that disc profile I think it's like the otter the otter is the one at the party that likes to dance on the table to make sure everybody's having a good time I mean that's just basically who I am right when it comes to contentious debate and got, getting people riled up it's just not how I'm made uh, unless you unless you mess with somebody that I like and and that's a friend of mine, <laughs> then it's all you know. You don't want to see that side. Uh, but but I don't I don't I, I naturally kind of tend towards the other direction when I'm talking to people. I I, I want to boost them up. I, I you know. But when you know I want to see them um, do well. I want to see them happy. Um, but there are times, especially in my life, where I've had to cut off relationships because. Uh, because of varying things and, and di different beliefs and, and I've tried different ways to, to keep relationships together. They just don't. Um, but when I've crafted tactical faith together um, a long time ago in 2011, it was an honest realization and want and desire to get those that are, that were, were merely Christians together to, to, to think about Jesus in a real honest way to foster and facilitate Christian learning not just apologetics and theology, Christian learning together. We can be serious Christians, uh, but in doing so, I've my eyes were open to the fact that a lot of churches, A, don't want to have this kind of stuff in their church. They don't want to deep dive in the deeper parts of the faith. Uh, they're worried about straying too far from the essentials will cause disunity. All those are justifiable things, um, but not, you know, but for me, I, I crafted this nonprofit so that I could reach out to different people that didn't think the same way that I do. Um, and I guess all of y'all feel the same way. And I just want the people out there that are listening to this to understand as we, as we move forward, we're going to be teaching and talking and, and speaking to people that don't sound like us, but they're mere Christian, you know, and maybe sometimes we'll bring people that are not. Um, I am committed to bringing in people that are, uh, that are Bible believing Jesus loving Christians. Uh, but that means stay, people that are on the, on the yellow brick road with us. Uh, I, I'm assuming y'all agree with me. Yeah. yeah. I, and this, this is why tactical faith is going to deal with some strange stuff. Maybe some things that we don't agree with, but the goal is to bring us together to talk about these. And it's perfectly reasonable to be, to be critical of, of things uh, and of people that we cover, but the main criticism that really matters to us is if we've left the road, yeah, let us know. 
Yeah, I don't mind you know, that at all. That's 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 what we need. Oh. Yeah, that's why we're non-denominational. You know, yeah. I work for the Alabama Baptist. I'm a Southern Baptist. I'm to the core. I'm an ordained Baptist preacher. You know, there are certain commitments that I hold uh, that are probably different than than even Travis and Joel and and even Shannon. Little, but ultimately, we're brothers in Christ and and believe in the fundamentals. And that's always been. And yeah, it's always been my goal to showcase that in a way that that other nonprofits and other churches can see as maybe a model. Uh, so thank you guys for coming on. Maybe uh, we're going to work on what the next will be while we're stuck here in 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 the pandemic, you know, and we're all each kind of stuck in our own way. But we're thinking about uh, Christ. We're thinking about each other. And we want to we use this time for his service to create content uh, that's worthy of putting out there for edification and worthy to be put out there for education and uh, but ultimately we want to bring people to the world so thank you so much and for those who are just coming here uh, it's www.tacticalfaith.com shannon always tells me never have to do the ww's but i'm old uh so but it is tacticalfaith.com wandering in wisdom is the podcast you can find that in and i believe spotify uh soundcloud itunes and uh i believe our podcast page our our podcast page on tacticalfaith.com that shannon puts together so beautifully and we want to thank him for his efforts joel thank you for coming on uh i i I am really enjoying where the podcast is going for you guys and and thank you so much for being a part of what we do and you you are now a total member of our group so i appreciate everything that, that that you brought to the table and for those of you, I also run a little podcast at TF Radio. Uh, if you want to come hear me, uh, you know, talk to different people and uh, to lift up different people and see their viewpoint, that you know, I'm I, I'm not there to destroy them. I'm there just to kind of pick their brain. Uh, come along and see that as well. So, hey, thank you all for coming on, and we will see you in a few.